Hello and welcome to Dell Tech Markets Monday for May 2016. Good morning those in the Americas, good afternoon those in Europe and good evening those in Asia. Uh, we're covering our usual agenda this week, looking at investment markets and uh, what drove them over the past week. Secondly, we'll touch on the outlook for the coming week uh, in what is going to be an important week with regards to the US growth cycle. Uh, thirdly, we'll touch on our investment idea for this week, which is a research redux piece. Uh, as is always the case, six weeks after we publish our quarterly outlook, we uh, publish a research redux of it uh, just to look at what our latest calls are and any changes to those calls, and also just tracking the progress of those calls. So it's a good chance to, uh, to cover off on all of our views, and that will also include our investment positioning. So looking at uh, investment markets over the past week, uh, we saw both developed markets and emerging market equities decline, but developed markets outperformed emerging markets quite considerably. Uh, over the last month uh, rolling, developed markets have continued to outperform emerging markets by approximately 4% uh, and are in line over the last quarter. Uh, in terms of uh, looking into some of the performance across fixed income markets, uh, in fixed income markets uh, we saw developed market sovereign uh, basically perform in line with investment grade. High yield credit outperformed both, so there was a, a slight tone of a, a shift to risk, riskier assets across fixed income markets. In commodity markets, a mixed picture again. Oil continued to move up, up 3.3%. Of course, the upgrade of the energy sector was one of our key calls at our quarterly outlook over the last month. The oil price is up 12%. Uh, against that performance, we saw weakness across base metal markets. Base metals down 1%, uh, with the most weakness coming across copper markets. Iron ore remains volatile. It was up 0.64% over the past week, but just last night declined by approximately 5%, bringing its, uh, its monthly decline to around 20%. And in currency markets, the US dollar continued to strengthen, uh, anticipating a rise in the federal funds rate. Uh, the market is now increasing the probability of a, a rate rise around June and, and certainly uh, increasing the probability of rate rise uh, in the December meeting as well. We continue to believe that you'll see two interest rate rises this year. Uh, most likely, we believe, uh, that it will be July and December. Uh, the market is not yet pricing in that kind of outcome as yet, so we still see opportunities there at the short end of the rate curve, uh, and as well as that in the US dollar against some other currencies as well. In terms of uh, some of the data highlights over the past week, in the US housing data with strong existing home sales and housing starts uh, above expectations above the prior month as well. Uh, in terms of looking at European data, investment data uh, was below, below the prior month, trade data was above. Japanese data starting to stabilise somewhat, but there's still some lack of, there's still a lack of policy credibility there in Japan, uh, with quite erratic moves being, or comments being made by the Bank of Japan uh, all through the week last week. Uh, and in China we did see data below expectations on both the industrial production and the investment side. Looking forward into the coming week, a very important week in terms of the US, we've got housing and industrial production data which will be key to our positive view on US housing and industrial stocks. As well as that we've got a number of more Fed governors speaking and we've had a few, a few this morning already, uh, certainly all pointing towards a more hawkish tone. Uh, with Governor Bullard who's one of the most hawkish uh, governors on the FOMC uh, signalling this morning on CNBC that you would see, uh, well, the, the data warrants a slower pace of rate increases rather than holding off on rate increases altogether until later. Uh, so that's certainly pointing towards rates going up in line with our call. Uh, in Europe, we've got the consumer confidence data and ZEW survey expectations this week. And across the world, we've got the market PMI manufacturing data. That'll be a really important leading indicator 
of global growth already in Europe. The data's come out. It's a little bit softer, uh, but maintained at that uh, somewhat elevated level. So down from the prior month, but still elevated above 50. Um, we've got the similar data out of uh, Japan and China this week as well. So an important week for US housing, uh, an important week for the global industrial production cycle as well. Turning our attention now uh, to our uh, a research redux of our quarterly outlook. Our quarterly outlook was published uh, in mid-April uh, and it was uh, entitled Bigger Data. And the reason for that was that we expected that you would see the confluence of stronger industrial production data globally and looser liquidity conditions globally. And that combination typically leads to a stronger tone to markets. Uh, in terms of how we've seen that play out, uh, it's certainly played out in terms of the data front. We have seen data improve across the world. Uh, it, it hasn't improved, admittedly it hasn't improved uh, at the pace that we would have expected. We would have expected that Europe would have been slightly stronger. But importantly, we haven't seen any significant weakness coming through despite a number of the policy shocks that we've seen around the world. So uh, basically we, we look at the data as being bigger uh, but holding at an elevated level rather than proceeding further and getting stronger still. We still expect that strength in global data to come through as we progress through this year. We still believe, as we take a step back, looking at the broader economic expansion, that we are still mid-cycle in the global economic expansion and there is still plenty of room to go. Going into some detail on some of our key calls, uh, at an emerging markets level, uh, we had the call that data was consistent with an improvement in, in, in markets in the short term, but we still had the view that emerging markets would contend with, contend with major deleveraging as this year progressed. That led to our still softer view towards emerging markets. That's, of course, come through uh, as, uh, as discussed earlier with regard to the emerging market performance. We remain positive in a relative sense on India and Mexico, both uh, beneficiaries of structural reform. Mexico also a beneficiary of a stronger US. We also remain negative on Brazil, Turkey and Malaysia, which have incidentally been three of the weakest performing emerging markets. Next, looking at the US, we had the view that data was going to be strong across the majority of the economy. Uh, particularly so with regards to housing and consumption, also with industrial production rising and capex remaining stable. That's entirely the picture that's uh, been painted over the first uh, or over the last six weeks since our uh, quarterly outlook was released. So we remain positive on housing exposures, consumer discretionary, although avoiding retail and sticking towards uh, those consumer discretionary exposures, uh, more exposed to experiences and online spending. Uh, we remain positive on technology, selected financials, that is regional banks, and selected industrials. We also remain negative on utilities and REITs. So our US call is maintained. Across Europe, we made the call that the tentative improvement in economic data will not be enough to drive a robust exit from the multi-year economic malaise. Uh, and as such, we saw that further policy action was required and warranted. Uh, that's entirely what's occurred. We've seen that the data's improved. It hasn't improved enough uh, to escape to reach escape velocity from the years of, uh, of economic malaise that we've seen. Policymakers are certainly more willing to act now than they were uh, over a quarter ago. So in terms of our call on Europe, we remain positive. Uh, we're actually slightly more positive now because of the valuation dis disparity between the US and Europe. And within Europe, we remain positive on technology, industrials, and capital goods. We also remain negative on consumer staples and selected financials within Europe. When we talk about selected financials, we're primarily talking about the, uh, the investment banks within Europe, which have continued to underperform since our quarterly outlook was released. In Japan, we had a negative view on the back of deteriorating domestic economic data and policy credibility lacking. 
that's entirely what's occurred. We remain negative on Japan. Uh, within Japan, uh, we remain positive on US dollar exposures and technology names, uh, which has been some of the strongest performing sectors. Across China, uh, we did, we did uh, tell you that recent data indicated a trough in growth momentum. That is what's occurred. What's been interesting in China is a huge amount of policy stimulus has gone in. That has started to impact economic growth, and economic growth will continue to improve as we progress throughout the rest of this quarter and into next quarter. But what's been really interesting is that commodity prices have already priced in this strength. So as much as we are more positive on the economic growth picture for China, we're not positive on the commodity price outlook, primarily because a lot of that strength in China's economic growth has already been priced into commodities, and then some on the back of speculation linked to that Chinese monetary stimulus. So our view on commodities, which follows on from China, is slightly more negative than where we were previously, although we do maintain our order of preference, uh, which is a preference for selected energy names, and we're still negative on gold, uh, as much as there is a lot of debate within our investment team on that. Uh, and finally, on, uh, on currencies and credit, look, with regards to currencies, we remain positive on the US dollar. The order of preference following this is the sterling, euro, emerging market FX, Canadian dollar, and Australian dollar, in that order. Uh, and we're outright negative on the Japanese yen. And in credit markets, we maintain our preference for selected investment grade and from a duration perspective on floating rate notes and longer duration assets. So all told, some minor changes to our views, uh, but very much intact. We remain positive on markets. We believe equities is the place to be from a core portfolio and a tactical portfolio perspective. That follows uh, in a core portfolio context uh, by fixed income, then by liquid assets. From a tactical perspective, given our view on rates, uh, our preferences for equities followed by floating rate notes and longer duration assets, and followed by that is fixed income and real assets. And across direct investments, we maintain a preference for those direct investments uh, which provide investors with a yield at the present time, uh, which will be above what's offered in, in uh, more liquid markets. So that's where we are from our reinvestment ideas, and also that's covered off on our investment positioning. I'll leave it there and open it up to any questions. Any questions from the room? Yes, um, Brexit. Any any input on that as we get closer to a decision being made? Yeah. So look, we, we made the call, um, and again, there's a lot of debate within the investment team uh, on this. Uh, we made the call uh, that well, I made the call that um, within the team that uh, that Brexit wasn't going to occur, but we certainly had other participants who thought Brexit would occur. So there's no, I would say there's no firm call on that. What's more important than that is really what's going to happen to assets, because at the end of the day, we invest on this. Uh, we do have the view that the sterling is undervalued relative to the euro. Uh, that's reflected within our, our currency order of preference. Um, and that's really where we see the best opportunity, looking at sterling euro. Uh, some UK uh, assets look attractive. Equity markets are somewhat more expensive than they are in Europe. Uh, there's been a search for yield, which has impacted UK equity markets. And that's driven up the price uh, of, uh, of dividend-paying stocks and thus driven down the dividend yield. So we see the best opportunities from Brexit in currency markets uh, because either outcome, um, whether you believe half of our investment team on the other, we do see uh, more of an opportunity in, in the sterling versus the euro, uh, but, but certainly the US dollar more from a, a broader currency perspective. Uh, one more question. The China commodity and the Japanese correlation uh, I know we were uh, 
we, we switch our view on Japanese based on a lot of the things that was happening in China. Mm -hmm. And now we're, we're kind of not revisiting, but we see some opportunity in China simply because of some of the things that they've put in place, but we know that it's also attached to commodity. Yeah. How do you see that correlate to what's going on in Japanese? Yeah, in so, Japan? so look, if we look at uh, Japan, you're absolutely right. It is going to be a, an economy which has negatively impacted you see a decline in China, but the converse is applying right now. They are benefiting. Japan is basically the single biggest beneficiary of a recovery in global growth. If you look at the EPS in Japanese uh, companies, it, is, uh, it has the highest speed of the global growth. Also, Japan is a huge beneficiary of the decline in oil prices that we saw over the past year. Obviously, oil prices have rallied about 50% since their lows, uh, but, but uh, Japan is still a beneficiary of the fact that oil isn't $120 a barrel plus. Uh, so Japan's benefiting from those from an external perspective and from the China stimulus, it's a huge beneficiary because it's a very close trading partner. Indeed, uh, China's the, the, the biggest trading partner of Japan. The issue with Japan is the fact that we've got uh, a total lack of policy credibility. Policymakers are being erratic with regards to their outlook and that doesn't help the domestic demand situation. And that's where the real issue is in Japan, that domestic demand isn't picking up through a combination of number one, poor demographics, which is just a, a long-term drag on their growth, but also the fact that you've seen so many policy changes in terms of tax increases, the, the prospect of further tax increases by the Abe government introducing a VAT uh, later this month, that'll be discussed, uh, or post G7. So uh, th th that confluence of kind of policy, an erratic policy um, regime coupled with the fact that domestic demand is just slow means that it's not really recovering. So the answer to your question is, look, Japan's a huge beneficiary of China. The question for us is whether the domestic situation uh, is going to be solved as well. If it is, there's a huge opportunity in Japanese equities because they're significantly undervalued. If it's not, then you've got a huge problem of indebtedness, uh, which will just be compounded um, by a weak domestic demand picture. Any questions from the phone line? Any other questions from the room? Okay, if you haven't received a copy of our quarterly outlook, please contact myself or your Deltec representative. It's a 240-page chart pack that has uh, hopefully everything you need to know. Uh, if there is something you don't know in there, please feel free to contact either myself or your Deltec representative and have a great week. Thank you.